0: Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for June eighteenth, two 2009. We are back for another show. Uh, the last month or so we've been doing these a little bit less regularly. Uh, you know, it's summertime, people have stuff going on, and, um, you know, we do this show because it's fun. And that sort of means that it gets done when it gets done. So... Apologize for those that were looking for it uh, on a more regular schedule, but um, here we are, and uh, I'm certainly glad to be back. Uh, I would like to introduce my panel, and we'll start with Dr. Dave Schwartz from UNLV Center for Gaming Research. Good afternoon, Dave. Hey there. Mr. Jeff Simpson from the Las Vegas Sun in Business Las Vegas. Welcome, Jeff.
1: Greetings. I- I'm not a doctor. I'm just a nurse.
0: <laughs> and Mr. Chuck Monster, uh, VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck?
2: Not all that much. Glad to be here. Glad to be back.
0: Excellent. And uh, my name's Hunter, and I'm over at RateVegas.com. And we're going to start today with a little bit of housekeeping, a couple of announcements and that sort of thing. Um, first, I want to let Chuck talk about a uh, site that he recently launched as part of his um, his empire, uh, <laughs> WhyNotRipping.com. Chuck, do you want to explain what that is and why you sure, might want to check it out?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, traveling and having a good time is, you know, is one of my favorite things in the world. And I think a lot of the people who like uh, Vegas surfing, you know, they like doing that at other places as well. Hence the uh, outcroppings of uh, the Reno site and the Cal, South Jungle and whatnot. So, uh, we decided to move into a new little area, mostly because one of my friends is a big, big, huge wine guy. He loves wine. He lives in San Francisco, and he goes out like every weekend or every you know couple of weeks or so out to uh, to wine country to do to go all the wineries and travel and stuff. And uh, in talking about it with him, as he's been doing it, you know, it just seemed like such a natural thing to build a website about. I was like, well, I don't know anything at all about wineries or how to go there and who has what and what the deal is with this, that and the other thing and all the, you know, the the unknown of this thing. And there it seems like there is no real website that puts all this information together in a no-nonsense kind of way. So, you know, we've been working on this for like a year and a half at least. Uh, he's been writing and writing and writing, and I've been sort of burning the, the, the midnight oil, trying to hack it all together, you know, in between all the other bajillion projects we've been going on. So we sort of soft launched it like a month or so ago. Didn't really tell anybody, you know, as we were still taking care of details. But we made the announcement, uh, I think it was like Sunday or Monday night or whatever it was, and, uh, you know, pushed it out. And, and we've gotten a great response. A lot of people who love uh, Vegas tripping also live you know in northern california and they trip out there all the time as well so you know it's something different it's uh you know boozing it up and having a good time just no slot machines and more driving around so
0: go check well, it out very cool and uh, i recommend that you do um it's uh you know it i looked at it a bit and it's a lot of fun so I think uh, definitely you can get your um, all the information that you need about the proper way to swirl your glass without getting made fun of when you go <laughs> when you go to wine taste when you go wine tasting. so definitely check yeah. it out uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, pimp some something one of my own projects and and that's Vegas Mate, which is my iPhone application for for Las Vegas, the uh, interactive uh, location based tour guide thing. Um, I am working on a brand new version of Vegas Mate, uh, a, a major revision that should be out in hopefully about a month from now, sometime in July. Um, it uses uh, those that follow the iPhone may know that there was a pretty significant um, new bit of software released uh, yesterday that includes all kinds of new features, and the new the new version of Vegas Mate is going to take advantage of those. So uh, I'm really excited about it. There's a post up on my blog, if, if you're interested, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes, um, that covers specifically some of the details. But um, that should be coming out in about a month, and it's a, it's a free upgrade for any existing customer. So, uh, you know, you can pick up Vegas Mate now and upgrade when it's available. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun working on it, and um, I hope that uh, that people enjoy it. So it will be out there soon. And definitely, uh, I'll post another announcement uh, when when it's ready for release. Um, last but not least, just a reminder Vegas Podcast of Palooza, I believe, is October 17th. I'm still sort of nailing down the specific details. Um, it, it's very almost totally certain that it'll be in the same spot than it was last time. Um, and that's about <clears throat> all that we can say with certainty. But uh, for those that are interested in coming, you might want to mark that on your calendar. Uh it's a ways away, so hopefully you can plan a trip around it or, uh, or whatever. We would definitely love to see you and meet you and, uh, you know, have a beer with you or whatever. So October 17th, uh, most likely at the Palms, but definitely stay tuned for some more info. Uh, we'll announce it as we have it. So, okay, housekeeping over. Let's get into some, some real topics. And I want to start by talking about NGM Mirage. Um, this past week we saw an announcement from them um, they announced a partnership for an MGM grand hotel in Egypt and um, this follows announcements similar announcements um, for hotels like uh, Bellagio and an MGM Grand in Dubai. Uh, they have the uh, MGM branded hotel at uh, in Connecticut. Um, you know they've talked about projects I think in China as well these are many of these are not <laughs> absent the Connecticut. Uh, property. Many of these are non-gaming, so you know it sounds like MGM is trying to sort of amp up their brand and, and spread it worldwide. Um, you know, my first question is: is this is this a good move for them? I mean, they have some challenges that they in their core business back in Nevada and elsewhere. Um, does this make sense for them to be pushing this kind of an expansion now? Um, Dave, I know you were quoted in an article talking about this, so maybe I'll start with you.
3: Sure. Yeah, I think it does. It seems like it's a really good way for them to get their brand out there to people who aren't familiar maybe with Las Vegas, which I know to people listening to this podcast sounds, you know, sounds pretty unlikely. But if you look at the entire universe of people in the world who like to stay at luxury hotels, you have to figure that a lot of them in Europe and Asia don't come to Vegas, so they don't really know what the MGM Grand is. So it's a really good um, opportunity for them to get some exposure for their brand without paying to build a new hotel and just uh, doing the management.
0: Right, because from what I understand, a lot of these deals are set up where they basically are licensing the name and in some cases providing management services. They really don't have to put up any money or very little. Um, So it seems like a win for them with hopefully not having to divert many resources. Now, I'm curious, uh, does anybody think that other gaming companies are going to do something like this? I mean, are we going to see a win New York are um, non-gaming hotels and brand licensing and that sort of thing is that the future for some of these some of these uh, traditionally Vegas-based uh, gaming companies? I
1: doubt I doubt it's the future. I think that there are very few brands that um, would translate into uh, a luxury brand overseas. Um, I doubt that Wynn would do it. His brands would, but I doubt that he would do it um, without a gaming component and without running them himself. Um, and probably, uh, at least some significant ownership stake. Um, you know, Palms, you know, is a possibility. Caesar's Palace, certainly, but they have such strong gaming connections. Um, you know, the MGM is sort of a unique situation. They have a, uh, very strong connection to the Arab world. The, their hospitality division is, uh, run by, um, Gamal Aziz, who is an Egyptian American. They uh they are significantly owned by the government of Dubai. Um and so, you know, it's not it, you know, and 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 their you know, their two big um overseas um deals so far are in um Egypt and Dubai. They also have that deal with uh the uh Connecticut Gaming Tribe, but you know i don't i don't see it translating to a lot of companies, and quite frankly i think i i agree totally with dr dave it's a it's an awesome um deal for m g m on the you know they they get money they you know get to expand their brand there's not really a lot of downside um but the um i don't think that it's something that um turns out to be uh, you know a a big huge revenue driver and i don't think that the mgm grand brand is going to bring a lot of uh you know the, there's pretty tough competition at the top end of the regular hotel market um you know these properties that they're going to be doing are all relatively small um by us standards by regular hotel standards they're pretty big um but i just don't see them um somehow supplanting you know the the Four Seasons, the the Mandarin Orientals, the Raffles, the uh, you know those kind of um, places that are used to operating four and five star boutique properties in the biggest cities in the world, um, but you know in, in terms of raising the consciousness of the brand, I think it will do that.
0: What I what I think is interesting is uh, you know you mentioned that that definitely there's this very strong connection to to the Middle East, and we're talking about cultures that oftentimes frown on gambling, and we're talking about brands that have are very strongly rooted in gambling being translated into these markets. I think that's just kind of an interesting... Um interesting point.
1: Well, it may be that the cultures, you know, don't necessarily approve of gambling, but there there certainly is in, you know, in northern Africa, some of there are casinos. There's casinos in Lebanon and certainly uh, you know, the London gaming market has been dominated by uh Arab oil money for quite some time. Um so, you know, it may be that, you know, there there is a frowning upon, you know, frowning upon gambling um, as something that would take place in many of the, many of the Arab locations, but that doesn't mean that a lot of the people there who have money don't like to gamble. Um, So, you know, there's, you know, sort of a, um, maybe what's, what's good for the common people um, isn't necessarily the same thing as what's good for the people who are at the top.
0: I'm curious to see, and I, I, I don't think that they really talked much about design. But you know, for instance, this Bellagio that's going to be in Dubai. I'm curious if they'll if they'll take any of the stylings from, you know, the Las Vegas version and translate that, or if they're just going to try and move the name and uh, and not really try to keep that whole sort of uh, thematic experience. I'm
3: just curious. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about this and. With this, they're kind of in a no-win position because if they do take a lot of the thematic elements out of the original, basically everyone, everyone will just say it's just a scaled-down version of the original. It'll be sort of like Venetian Macau and Venetian uh, Las Vegas and Wynn Macau and Win Las Vegas. If they don't take any of the elements of it and go with something totally new that's an interpretation that's faithful to the site – People say, well, it's got no brand recognition at all, and it's just a name. So I, I think it's, a re- it's going to be a really tough line for them to walk creatively to get something that does have some of the thematic elements but is adapted to the actual site and size.
0: Yeah. No, that's an, a very good point. Well, it's interesting to see uh, <clears throat> them making these sorts of deals uh, and if they'll continue to do these and if there's any uh, in the wings. Um, You know, I think, Jeff, what you said as far as it not being a major part of their business, that's sort of the sense that I got based on what I was reading. But it is very interesting to see them making these sorts of deals.
1: I think there's no doubt, and we talked about this probably a couple of years ago, that this is setting up for um, when the economy is better, when there is IPO uh, money sloshing around in the markets again, um, sets them up to split their non-gaming hotel Division and uh, reap some of the uh, higher multiples that are afforded um, operators in the non-gaming hotel sector, and uh, you know they've Jim Murrin has long been a proponent of uh, of that course. So now that he's in charge of the company, I think it's all the more likely that that will happen uh, as soon as or if the economy rebounds. Yeah, if yes. uh, well, it's a good point.
0: All right. Moving on. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Atlantic City, specifically the Tropicana. Uh, Mr. Carl Icahn picked up the Tropicana AC, and listeners and readers, I'm sure, will remember that uh, Columbia Sussex Corporation uh, was not relicensed for their Atlantic City site, the Tropicana, and uh, they basically was forced into into a into a sale. Now – um, Dave, as the resident Atlantic City expert, I'm hoping you can fill in my gaps here. But I believe at the beginning of this process, people were throwing out numbers between $700 million and a $1 billion, somewhere in that region. And I think, didn't it go for something like $200 million?
3: Yeah, they had an offer for th- I think it was $750 million – I could be wrong on that – that was rejected by the conservator, uh, this Judge Stein, who said, no, we think it's worth a billion. And at the time, I didn't think it was worth a billion, but I figured, what do I know? I'm not a conservator. And huh. it looks like the markets didn't think it was worth a billion either because it went for $200 billion, I believe. in it was. I think it was a debt swap. I'm not totally sure, but it was basically – it's the shareholders or the bond. I believe it's the bondholders who have the debt and uh, have been compensated about 200 million for it. I'm not totally sure, but basically that's what it's going for. It that, was about 200 million. I think
1: what happened is Icon bought 200 million face value in Tropicana debt, and his offer to take over the property. By giving up that and then reimbursing at some very small amount the other debt holders, um it works out to be I think you're right about two hundred million or less um you know he is buying it at an insanely low price, but you know I mean every a lot of people like to get on this Judge Stein's case like he was supposed to anticipate the economy i mean, I didn't read you know many people who are out there saying you know 750 million that's a steal for the state they should sell it right now people were you know i mean um certainly tropicana was arguing that that would be a uh, you know while they appealed that that would be a, a an unfair low price and uh, you know what happened was the economy you know fell off a cliff since that time and you know, they they ended up with a property that was impossible to sell. Just as many properties are impossible to sell, um, just because nobody can come up with you know a couple hundred million bucks in cash. And so, you know, Carl Icahn in the right place at the right time. He has he does have money. You know, cash money, liquid money. Um, he's done that before with. Arizona Charlie's with uh, the Sunrise Suites that became another Arizona Charlie's with the Stratosphere, with the Claridge, with the Atlantic City Sands. Um, And, you know, he is just a, uh, you know, he knows how to, uh, you know, swoop in, buy the debt, convert it to equity, and, uh, and, you know, emerge on the other side as an owner, um, and then emerge again as a seller. Um, and, uh, you know, Carl Icahn is not married to the properties. He's not married to the industry. He knows how to capitalize on it. And uh, he's, a, he's a smart buyer and a smart seller. He's not a genius operator. He isn't a guy who, you know, does really anything all that innovative. He buys low, sells higher. And so that's how you should assess this deal. You're not going to see a lot of, you know, craziness coming out of there. What you will see is selling when the market's right.
0: Well, now, you, you just answered one of the things I was going to ask, which was sort of related to his reputation as an operator. You know, since he's no longer uh, – I, I think I'm correct – no longer in Nevada since he sold out of those three properties –
1: Four, uh, including the Aquarius in in Lafayette.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Um, you know, I hear people griping about uh, about the current ownership of the Strat, saying it's gone downhill since uh, since I, I can left.
1: Um, you know, Boy, that's just, bad if it went downhill <laughs> because it was already toward the bottom of the hill.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, i was trying to get a sense of him as an operator, what people thought of his operational skills.
1: Mediocre. I mean, he hires cheap Um, He pays his executives much less than their peers. Um, He works them hard. He, uh, you know, does not, you know, um, he's not forking over big amounts of money for investment. You know, when, let's say, for example, when Stratosphere joined the the nightclub craze, they put in, you know, a, a very, you know, some, you know, a really lame, Nightclub that tried to capture a couple different decades, and you know it's it 's just you know it 's a property that 's going to appeal you know to younger folks and sort of bulk you know bulk junket flights of you know foreign tourists but it's it's it 's in no way high end the stratosphere um has it gone downhill since then quite frankly i haven't been in there for a little for at least half a year but um you know i haven't heard anything about it being that much worse i do know that other operators you know he he is a guy who's who is making a dime you know he knows what things cost you know and he he buy, you know and he sells them for a little bit more than that he makes his he makes his margin and uh you know he is he is not in there trying to you know make some uh, claim about innovation or, you know, he doesn't think of the business as an art, you know, it's, it's, it's much more of a formula.
0: Yeah. It sounds like uh, we should expect maybe to see uh, that property come up for sale at some point again, when the economy recovers. Probably Absolutely. Because
1: it, uh, it is a great, I mean, it, as Atlantic city goes, um, I, you know, and Dr. Dave, you back, I, I would presume you would agree. It it, it certainly was in the top. Tier of properties in Atlantic City. It has a pretty strong shopping component. Only recently built, it just had been allowed to deteriorate uh, in in terms of you know cleanliness and service under the uh, you know abysmal operational skills of uh, of Mr. Young, my, my favorite casino operator.
3: Well, it's got kind of a weird history. When they built it originally, they the um Oh, the Ramada people just wanted to convert an existing hotel, but the unions raised a big stink politically and made them tear down everything but the framework of the hotel and kind of rebuild it, which pleased the unions because they got more construction work. So the original tower is was, was pretty dodgy. It's not that great to be in. And the, I would say the hotel component is probably in the middle towards the bottom. Um, At least when you compare it with the newer stuff that's come online. I think the shopping, the quarter is one of the better parts of it. But if you look at that area, you've got the Atlantic City Hilton, which is going nowhere fast right now. You've got the Curtis Bishaw project, um, the Gateway Atlantic City project that's not going to happen. So that whole area, that whole end of the boardwalk is kind of in trouble right now, you know, especially – if Revel gets open, which is at the way opposite end of the boardwalk, it'll be. I think there will be challenged for a lot of walking traffic. So that that's going to make marketing really important to get people in there because they're not going to be walking down there from Caesars or Trump or any of the other properties. Is Atlantic
1: City Hilton that's the original golden
3: nugget? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Which Just is seen. It's really day. hill. <laughs> yeah. You know, considering that. <laughs> 28 years ago it was the top place in town and Right, right. it's kind of near the bottom with more rooms and the bigger casino so yeah definitely it's been passed by
0: well it uh, it seems like he got an incredible deal um, sort of the inverse of the um, Ruffin deal in Las Vegas from a few years ago he just really scored took advantage of the circumstances and uh, I'm sure it seems like it's impossible for him not to make money on this one way or another but we'll see what happens Uh, Moving on back to Las Vegas and the disaster that is the Fontainebleau. Since the last time we talked, uh, a lot's happened, or not, a lot hasn't happened. Um, Basically a whirlwind of bad news. We saw uh, Glenn Schaefer, who was the former Mandalay Resort Group executive that was going to be running the place and was a a major – A major part of the team. He departed sort of uh, quietly but um, completely. Um, And maybe someone can correct me. I don't think he's commented on the record since he left. At least not that I've seen. But um, in addition to that, uh, the Las Vegas Project filed Chapter 11 and now is in court trying to basically sue its way back into operation. Um, Jeff is that a pretty fair, uh, quick description of what's been happening, and and where are they exactly as of today? There was a, there was a ruling. I think was it today or yesterday?
1: Well, there is a there's a glimmer of hope going on. I mean, for the uh, for the builders, the Sofer family, and uh, their investors, um, and that's that it's being considered that that um, the bankruptcy court in Florida, which is sort of the home court for the Sofers, um, they are trying to uh, press the uh the revolving loan lenders to come through on their 800 million bucks and because a ba- a, bank- a bankruptcy court has wide powers they can you know speed things up they can make you know they can make a decision involving um Involving things sort of outside of the terms of the bankruptcy, and uh, that's what Fontainebleau is looking for in this case to force Bank of America and the other revolving loan financiers to uh, pony up. Um, what's ha You have sort of a, you know, two different groups of lenders. Those who the term lenders who had provided bond debt to them, you know, those that money has already been provided and built. You know, 70% or more of the hotel, but they need this revolving money to finish it. And if it's not finished, obviously the other lenders have a property that can't be opened. You know, with no, you know, no finished, not much finished on the interior. And uh, so the, but so the real issue is, will the bankruptcy court um, make? A decision very quickly here, and will they rule in favor of Fontainebleau? If they do, you know there's pro- they pro- they have some prospect of getting closer to completion. Um, if they don't, you're in a situation where the um, term debt owners would be like Deutsche Bank and others are at Cosmopolitan, where it's in their interest to finish. Um, and they would have to get together and um, somehow figure out who they could get to, uh, you know, to operate it. They'd have to pony up money to finish building it, Um, and presumably they would, but, you know, I mean, we're talking about a billion dollars. It's just not um, chump change in this market. Um, A couple bad things for the property. One, you mentioned Glenn Schaefer, Um, you know, sort of the guy who made everybody feel Confident in the property, um, he has done so well with uh, on a budget in the past, um, and you know was believed to be sort of, you know, the guy who uh, was creating a pretty exciting place. That's very bad news. Um, the other thing is that James Packer, who um, right. helped them line up the financing with a couple hundred million dollars a couple years ago. You know, he has pretty much formally said, hey, look, that is money that's down the toilet. I am not putting another dime in there. I value that investment at zero. The hell with them. Now, if that's truly the case and they can't call on James Packer, you know, the sofas are condo sellers. And, you know, it's not like condo sellers are the king of the world right now. Mm-hmm. So you've got to wonder where they get money. Um, it's, you know, if if the bank if the j- bankruptcy judge doesn't rule in favor of Fontainebleau, you got to presume that the term debt uh, providers end up owning this project and figuring out what to do. Um, so, yeah, it's a bleak situation, slight glimmer of hope, but, uh, I mean, you know, it's 90, 97% cloudy.
0: It's You know, it's, it's just unfortunate. I mean, this was a project that uh – that 6 months or 9 months ago was was looking like a very bright spot especially for that that end of the strip despite all you know despite echelon being on pause and uh, it's there's just been a lot of bad news for them one of the one of the things that surprised me is this 70% completed figure that has been bandied about and i don't know exactly how how they calculate that but given the time frame when it was supposed to open uh, that surprised me a little bit i would have
1: expected that be- to be a little higher It may be a money amount rather than a time amount, because when you're finishing a hotel, some of the big costs are, you know, the flat panel TVs, the furniture, the the soft and hard goods, the rest of the soft and hard goods in the rooms, um, obviously a couple thousand slot machines. You're talking about, you know, a big big layout there, plus, you know, all the other things it takes to, uh, you know, finish off. Um, the property, a lot of spending goes in in that last six months, and they, you know all the big supplies for all those trucks to roll in and start, you know, downloading, offloading stuff. Is um, there big, big amounts of money that have to be uh, shelled out to get those um, to get those supplies into the property? Right.
0: Am I right that Schaefer's not gone on the record since he left?
1: I have seen nothing from Glenn.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I thought.
1: You know, Glenn uh, spends about half. Half his time in New Zealand, and uh you know i I know he's a skier, so you know I think it's uh that season down in the uh, southern hemisphere and he may just uh you know have a uh, a wine skin and and the uh you know- th- you know trying to avoid his troubles the poor guy uh you know probably counted on these folks to have the have the financing for him and uh, it just has not worked out.
0: No, it's too bad. And if I recall, he made a personal investment in the project, so it's got a sting double time.
1: I mean, I'm I'm sure he did. I have you know, he was not um, independently wealthy like you know, he was not the owner of Mandalay Resort Group. That was Mike Enson and Bill Richardson. He was a you know, a very well compensated executive who did make some money when that when the company was sold, but it certainly wasn't, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. He would have done all right. But, you know, it's not like he was he's more of a, you know, a loveman or a loveman type or less money guy than a uh than, you know, a Steve Wynn or somebody who comes out of a deal with half a billion dollars.
0: Now, I, I want to do a little exercise here, and just, just for fun, uh, go around the table and make some predictions on when we think this project might open. Um, so I'm going to put Chuck on the, on the spot first, and you can be a wild guess, but I'm just curious. What do you, what would, if you're handicapping this, what do you think? When's it going to open? Uh, June
2: 2010. June 2010.
0: Okay, Dr. Dave.
3: Hey, can I do the uh, Price Is Right thing here and say June second, two thousand ten? I would never, you know, I would never do that because whenever people do that on Price Is Right, I want to scream. So I will say August two thousand ten.
0: Okay. What about you, Jeff?
3: I'm going to say uh,
1: November two
0: thousand eleven. Yeah. See, I was going to say I was going to say summer two thousand eleven.
1: Uh, you know, and 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 the reason for that is I I I think that um you're gonna ha- you're gonna see some slowdown. I think that there's almost an intentional slowdown going on with cosmopolitan, I think, and I think you'll see the same thing um with Fontainebleau where it sort of allows the market to digest city center, then cosmopolitan, then Fontainebleau. Um and so, you know, if the Term loan holders, and I'm anticipating term loan holders taking over the property um, after the Sofers go bankrupt. Um, presuming that that's what happens, but that's just my my uh, uneducated guess. And then uh, you know the term lo- term loan holders, you know, getting the contractors to finish it, but on a much slower scale, ending up opening it almost two years late.
0: Well, whoever gets the closest, I will. Uh... Take you out to dinner somewhere and uh, <clears throat> to celebrate the Fontainebleau opening. Maybe at the Fontainebleau, some restaurant there. <laughs> so <laughs> get your appetite ready for 2011. <clears throat> um, okay, moving on. Moving to China. And, Chuck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ping you for some info here. City of Dreams, uh, second major resort to open on Kotai, opened a few weeks ago. Um, I know, you, Chuck, you've talked about this on Macau Tripping. Um, can you, for the listeners, can you quickly sum up the property's major uh, features? And I'm curious, um, in the period since it's opening, if you've heard anything about how it's doing or people's impressions of the place.
2: Sure thing. Uh City of Dreams is the uh, first major integrated resort to be built by the uh, the team of uh, uh, Lawrence Ho, who is the son of Dr. Stanley, and sister of, of Sister Pansy, and uh, James Packer, uh, the the uh, Melco Crown Limited Group. Uh, it's a pretty massive project: uh, two large hotel towers, uh, plus plus another dual Hyatt, and then some condos going way in the back. One of the towers is Crown branded. Another one is uh, Hard Rock branded. Uh, let's see, there's a uh, uh, you know it, this is the casino which some people may remember was originally supposed to be the quote unquote underwater casino. Uh, it was it was being built when it was being planned at the time on the Cotai Strip. Uh, this that whole area was of course you know part of the South China Sea water there that they filled in with a whole bunch of dirt. So. You know, the the, the the theme of water goes throughout the whole of the hotel, uh, the architecture, interior, exterior, whatnot. Uh, the, the outsides of the building, like the, one of the towers, the, the hard rock, has like these lights that kind of spin around with these lips on it that make it look like it's a water spout. Uh, the crown tower has like a neon that drips down from the top that makes it look like a waterfall. Uh, the Hyatt Towers have like these waves-looking things on the outside. There's a moat surrounding the whole thing. There's like a gigantic uh, thing they call like the bubble, which, has, which is kind of like being on the inside of a fishbowl with uh, a projection show all around it, whatnot. Uh, there's water. Falls inside, you know, in various parts, inside of the casino, whatnot. You know, it's, it's a pretty uh, astonishing undertaking, you know, huge, 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 very, very large uh, project uh, that, uh, you know, I was really, really excited about this. After going to, to Macau and visiting their other property, the Crown uh, in Taipa, I was just so blown away by that property. It's just gorgeous, absolutely stellar, probably the most beautiful hotel I've, I've ever been to. Uh, but after uh, you know, I haven't been to the City Dreams, of course. Uh, but but looking at a lot of the photos, there's a lot of really gorgeous uh, interior design techniques and things. You know, real optical illusions and fascinating, fascinating looking things. But but the one thing that I kind of noticed after looking at all of this stuff is that the property itself it seems like it it, it lacks cohesion. Like around every corner, it, it's more of a Willy Wonka's kind of Wonderland thing than than a uh, you know a full integrated, uh, unified resort like the Encore Win thing. You now, where you have the flowers on one side and the and the, the dragonflies, butterflies on the other side. You know, this thing, you know, you walk around one corner, it's like this drippy brown paneling, and then you go around another corner, and it's a wall made out of drumsticks and. It's a lot of a lot of really fantastic eye candy, uh, but but in terms of it be I, I don't really get a sense of it being like you know you go into a place and you're just sort of sucked sucked into it. You go into there and you stay there. Of course, I haven't walked around yet, but uh, in terms of what I've heard about the business, I haven't really heard too much. You know, some people who've been there who've been contacting me, have been saying you know it's it's not like. Uh, it's not doing off the hook business, it's not doing bad business, you know. It, it just you know, it's just more of the same of what's been happening on Kotai. It didn't really drive like huge, massive, monstrous, you know, undeniably huge crowds like uh the opening of some of the other joints have. So you know they didn't really go too hog wild with announcing the opening too. So it's uh
0: you know, it's
2: kind of a PR fail in
0: my opinion. Now but uh, the place cost about Two and a half billion, is that right?
2: Yes, yeah, somewhere more. around there. I don't remember the exact the numbers right off offhand. But
0: now I don't I don't follow uh, Macau anywhere near as closely as they follow Las Vegas. Is this a make or break project for this company? If it doesn't do well, are they in serious serious trouble?
2: I don't think so. You know, I think uh, it's you know it it's uh, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna work. You know, I don't I don't see it not working. Uh, it it. I, anything that happens on Kotai, the more critical mass that happens on Kotai, the more projects that open, you know, the more everybody's gonna, gonna gonna benefit, you know the the rising tide brings all boats. So the more votes there are, on, I guess you know the more water gets higher, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just you know you know what I'm trying to say. You know, It yep. just seems like right now, you know, you go to Kotai, you've got like a whole bunch of construction and abandoned properties and things that are half-built and non-built, and, you know, it's kind of a half-mess, you know, but all you had over there was the Venetian. So now you actually have two things to go to. You can kind of go one and go to the other. So, you know, as more things happen, the, uh, the Galaxy Project, I think, is probably going to open sometime in 2010, maybe around the time Fontainebleau opens. We could probably take bets on that next time. Uh, but uh you know once once there's more critical mass and there's more things to happen, you know everybody's gonna gonna do well over there it's it's a uh it's a longer term play i don't see kotai as a short term play it's a longer term play for right now though i 'd say the peninsula is where everything's happening
1: and I, I think that Chuck makes a very good point about that um, you know Sheldon Adelson of Las Vegas Sands is very fond of comparing the peninsula and Kotai to the Vegas um, downtown and strip, and I think that that's a misguided comparison um, in the near and medium term, at least, uh, because there's been so much new investment on the peninsula, um, unlike downtown, where the big investments are measured in the low um, nine figures, a um, hundred million, fifty million, a hundred and fifty million. Um, Golden nugget is getting a new hotel tower, but you know the kind of changes that wouldn't bat an eye on the strip um, so it's no surprise that the strip has you know since nineteen you know nine is the the fifties you know stole um the a lot of the business away from downtown and and made downtown into a very um you know tertiary market um, in in Macau. Um, what's been amazing to me, and certainly, City of Dreams does make Kotai more valuable. Four Seasons was is an improvement there. There will be Galaxy eventually, MGM Mirage, and the Pansy Ho partnership. Steve Wynn wants to be there eventually, um, and you know, presuming that um, the spigot of folks from uh, China is allowed to flow or the flow's improved. Certainly, Kotai will eventually um, you know, become, just for space reasons, um, with not much more developable space on the peninsula, it's going to be um, where most of the new and exciting investment is. But I, I sort of disagree with Sheldon's contention that you know, the peninsula is done. Um, is is old news. Um, one of the things that, at, while the Venetian has been open, look at the market share of some of the operators on only on the peninsula, whether it's uh, Stanley Ho and uh, and uh, what is that SBDM and and certainly Win. Um, you know, Wynn has not been. You know, he's not. Um, he has yet to open his encore on the peninsula, and yet he is solidly maintaining that you know 15 to 18 percent market share. That you know, I mean, that that is as big as as companies that dwarf him in gaming positions, because he owns that piece of the market that he covets. Um, the same thing for Stanley Ho. He's been pretty solid at, at protecting, you know, the share that he eventually settled at. And uh, you know, those are Peninsula operators. So um, the Peninsula is not dead. There is a lot. You know, obviously you have a Grand Lisboa, you have you have Wynn, you have Encore Macau. Um, there is a lot of nice new stuff. Um, MGM MGM Grand. Um, So, you know, there is a lot of nice stuff there, um, and I I think that there will be two vibrant markets in Macau, and I'm not sure that it's settled that Kotai becomes the super high-end best place. It may, but it's also possible that, you know, the – the, you know um the people are very people are very status conscious who play in Asia, and it would take a perception i believe that that the Cotai properties or at least one of those properties is the best um to really undercut the power of the best places on the peninsula. I'm not sure I see that happening yet,
0: yeah, I mean you look at what Wynn is building with their encore in Macau, i mean the way that they describe it. Uh, it's it sounds like an incredibly high end addition and then obviously some of the other more recent stuff like you mentioned, MGM Grand, also a very high end product. Uh even the Sands Hotel Tower that they added to the to their Peninsula Casino uh is a pretty high end product. So <clears throat> I definitely see uh where you're coming from. So it sounds like it sounds like uh City of Dreams opening is a net positive for the Venetian um not not something that they should be worried about dragging some business away does that does that seem like a fair assessment
1: in the short run it may drag business away in the long run it's better for Cotai and the Venetian has all, almost all of its eggs in Kotai's basket so the strength the ultimate strength of Kotai is probably most important but you know they certainly don't want to lose money they're not in a position to do without right now
0: <clears throat> At least they've got uh, the aquarium guy to run the company to get them out of this tight <laughs> spot. <laughs> uh,
1: hey, they're not—they're do, not doing too bad. They got—they opened Beth Works. Um, you know, I have long said that that is going to be an underappreciated property. I believe that even with that high tax rate, it's going to be a bigger contributor to the company. It's the best um, slot casino in the state, and uh, I expect that. Um, you know, we'll have to see how Singapore does, but I've seen the most recent Bloomberg photos of the two properties in Singapore, and uh, you know, it looks like they're getting pretty darn close to completion. It looks like they're about, you know, topped out and just, you know, finishing you know work on the tower up about two thirds high with glass and stuff. So, I mean, when that place opens, that you know, that could that has the potential to be a real big revenue driver.
0: No, no doubt. And I, I did some uh, a little bit of checking on Las Vegas Sands numbers right around the time Bethlehem opened, and um, you know I was reminded that despite some of the problems that they've had, they're standing up pretty darn well against their competitors and still getting uh, a lot for their rooms and, and doing pretty well. So they're definitely not. Um, <clears throat> I I laugh because I love. <laughs> um, <laughs> Chuck, one more question for you um, Do you know off the top of your head What's the next property to open on Kotai Or is there even one scheduled at this moment? Uh,
2: well, uh, that's, a, that's a good question um, I think the, uh, the Galaxy uh, Mega Resort, Galaxy Kotai Or whatever the hell they're calling it this week uh, Is supposed to be Like the middle of next year uh, they're also talking. The, uh, the Las Vegas fans also talking about rebooting what they got going on over there. Uh, the hotel row, the uh, what, Dorado Dominoes, the uh, you know the St Regis Raffles, Hilton, Holiday Inn, Radisson, whatever the hell it is. Uh, that, that whole thing, I think they're going to start working on that thing, and pieces of that will come together too. So, but I don't see that as being like a game changer destination. You know that seems like it'd be more like hotel, extra hotels. Right. You know, I don't see, I don't see anybody think, "Ooh, I'm gonna go to the Sheraton on Kotai. <laughs> you
0: know, I
2: don't, I don't see that as being, uh, you know, fascinating to to, to any degree. One other thing I just thought I want to throw in there, just kind of related to to what we were talking about earlier, is that uh, it should be noted that the Galaxy has poured a lot of money into some of their properties on the peninsula. The uh, city clubs, the older ones like the Waldo, it's been completely redone. the set Setpacetta, on down the line, and the Mandarin Oriental is going to be opening. There's there's one right now next to the Sands, and there's a new one opening at the uh, right next to the uh, uh, MGM Grand.
1: Now the Mandarin Oriental next to the Sands was the one. That Tansy Ho owned and sold. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, she just sold that one to uh, to uh, Stanley, and they're going to rebrand and redo the property. But it's already, you know, it still is a five-star level hotel. So that's going to put put a take a little bit of attack off of what's going on with the fans once they get, you know, some serious branding in there and give it a little bit more. Uh, kind of uh, jazz then ooh it's a Mandarin Oriental. You know, if they give that thing an identity and they paint it right up against the sands, you know, then you got, you know, Stanley Ho is getting his uh, his Oceanus uh but not exactly looking like that thing.
1: You know PC. sands really benefits from its proximity to the uh, to the ferry marina. I mean it's yeah. just so close there you know the, and when I when I came in and I came in by ferry from Hong Kong, um, it's just amazing how you know the people are like chomping at the bit. I mean it is. I mean I've seen people at the airport in Las Vegas, and you know people are anxious to get into their taxis. But I mean you know if they were horses, they'd be like you know stomping their hooves. You know, ready to get ready to get going because they just cannot wait to start wagering wagering those the, their money. Um, it is unbelievable, and so that proximity is is a big help to the sands. Yes, yeah.
2: anywhere further, you know, particularly in that kind of weather, you know, how humid and, and uh, <laughs> dense it gets there. You know, anywhere further, you have to wait for your for the uh, for the cab the tab, the, uh, the buses. You know and they sit there and they wait but they don't, you know you gotta wait for fifteen minutes for it to get there and then all the way down the street and drop you off and whatnot so you know the the fans is great for that for that reason only you know you just hop right in there, you jump right out, run down that walkway channel, run over a couple of streets, and you're in there playing and you know probably and, about five
1: and so many of the gamblers there, it's not like las vegas this is it's not a You know, I mean, people, you know, the Venetian and these people building nice hotels want people to stay overnight, but by and large, most people are day, you know, they'll, they'll spend a long day there and then they go back, you know, it's like, it's much more like Atlantic City than it is Las Vegas. People are, you know, they come in, they go home, they come back again within a week, you know, a week or two weeks or a month, you know, multiple visits in a year, a big chunk of Las Vegas visitors You know, visit much less frequently than that. So, you know, yeah, it matters. Fifteen minutes, twenty minutes going to and from a property makes a difference to that kind of gamble. They want to get in action now.
0: Great. Well, City of Dreams, I'm hoping that uh, I'll get to see it uh, sometime not in
1: in too too distant future.
0: Um, It sounds like a very cool project from what I've read and what I've seen. So, and for those listeners that are interested, you definitely go over to Macau Tripping and look at some photos. Um, There's some very cool shots of uh, of the insides of the hotel. Um, I want to – I'm going to spring something on you guys that I had forgotten about, and if we don't have the answer, we don't have the answer, but we'll see. Uh, a, re- a listener sent in a question about um, casino project financing, and um, I thought I would ask and see if anybody knows. So, this is from Jeff, and he's asking, um, with uh, – This is a little ways back, but he was talking about the uh, Adelson-Bill Widener sort of uh, flare-up between the two of them. And he was talking about (laughs) – there's been some people saying that it's irresponsible to begin building a project without all the financing in place. I think people like Steve Wynn have have made a point of saying, you know, he had financing in place before he started building. And Jeff asks, um, I read a profile of Kirk Kerkorian that was several years old, and it stated that he began construction on the International after he had half the financing in place. And what Jeff, Jeff is wondering is how unusual it is to start construction without all the financing being in place. And maybe, Dave, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but if, is there any kind of historical data on this sort of stuff?
3: I don't know. And um, definitely that's, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a smart thing to do because Kirkorian lost the International <laughs> a couple of years later. You know, within two years of it opening, he lost it to Hilton because, well, for a lot of reasons. So um, I don't really know. You know, it. it Definitely seems like it's something that they're doing a lot of these days. Yeah. Um, Just in the past, you didn't need that much money to build a casino into the, you know, into the '50s. It was maybe two to five million Mm dollars, so it wasn't nearly as much money as as it is today.
1: Sure. And you typically, you know, when you're talking about companies that have operations, you know, Fontainebleau thought they had all their money lined up. Um, What happened? What happened with a couple of these operators? MGM, quite frankly, thought that their finances were so strong, they had all these unencumbered properties in Las Vegas, I mean, it's just unthinkable that they wouldn't have the money to finish. Um, You know, they just did not anticipate the scale of the downturn. You know, MGM is a company that was able to write debt at like the lowest possible interest rate because, you know, it was considered, you know, know, borderline investment grade, bottom of the investment grade type of security, you know, type of debt. It was just, you know, something that they couldn't have imagined. You know, now Steve Wynn, you know, he's he's operating a company with much, you know, smaller, um, a smaller base to throw off profit, and he is. You know, everybody thinks of him as some, you know, kind of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, he ha- has been a big dreamer that did things that people thought were, you know, too big in scope for what the city would support, but he arranged his money in advance uh you know with, with um, what were then you know sort of you know sort of scandalously called junk bonds in the 80, late 80s with Mirage and but he did the same thing you know he he lined up his debt for Wynn and for Encore and for Wynn Macau and Encore Macau um, but MGM just didn't see the need to it's hard to it's hard to really blame them i think most companies try and you know have it figured out in advance but if they have You know, if their other properties are throwing off a lot of cash, they're not expecting the market to turn on a dime um, the way it did, you know, go from incredibly strong and great to being unbelievably bad. And uh, that's what happened. No one could anticipate it. I don't think you blame Jim Murr and MGM Mirage for that. I just think it's sort of a cautionary lesson for operators moving forward.
0: Yeah, great answer. Well, so, Jeff, uh, I hope that – Hope that answers your question. And uh, any other listeners, of course, we're always happy to take uh, specific questions like that. You can leave them in the comments for the post. Um, Always read all that stuff and love to hear what you guys are thinking about and wondering about. Um, That's going to be it for today. Gentlemen, I want to say thank you for being here. I hope everybody has a great weekend. I'm going to go around the table. Um, Jeff Simpson, where can people track you down?
3: InBusinessLasVegas.com.
0: Dr. Dave Schwartz, what about you?
3: I'm at gaming.unlv.edu and diazcast.com. And Mr. Chuck Monster, where can people find you?
2: Uh, You can find me at vegastripping.com.
0: Excellent. And you can find me at ratevegas.com. Thanks again to everybody. Have
3: a great weekend.